Hey, Prof, can I say, it's been a long time since you and I have uh, locked horns over issues the way we have today. I'm, I'm, uh, I think we'll be getting some positive cards and uh, letters. Um, I'm running on no sleep here. <laughs> I'm punchy. <laughs> Thanks to Cryer Malt, a grain of truth in every podcast. This is Good Brews Week. I'm your host, Pete Mitchum, and joining me today, welcoming uh, him, it's the newly appointed editor of Australian Brews News, it's Matt Kierkegaard. <laughs> G'day, Pete. How are you? G'day, Matt. I'm very well. Uh, for those who don't know, um, basically the music stopped and you couldn't find a chair, so you're the new uh, editor of Australian Brews News, which we might come back to a little bit later in the program. Sure. Matt, making news this week. There's not a lot happening, but um, I'm sure we'll manage to drag it out to at least 40 minutes. Stone and Wood puts dates in their cans. Sorry, I'll read that again. Stone and Wood puts dates on their cans. On Sorry, their I'll read that again. <laughs> Stone and Wood put, puts dates on their bottles. And the internet goes into meltdown. What are the best beers in Australia? Discuss. And are you okay? Let's talk about it. Matt, bit of news this week. Um, Stone and Wood, not... So, uh, you know, oh, we're putting dates on bottles. That's great. But um, it's a little bit different because they are Australia's second largest independent brewer and because they've um, put packed on dates on their products. Yeah. And uh, th- this is one that we, uh, that anyone that was listening to the, uh, was at our chat in um, Melbourne during Good Beer Week, uh, was one of the areas that we looked at best before dates, what they mean, what retailers look, and, you know, where the package dates. Um, and we had a little whisper. Um, that Stone and Wood were doing this, um, but didn't really run with it too much since in in the news because um, you know Stone and Wood hadn't officially announced it. So, um, but anyway, Stone and Wood has come out. They've joined the growing number of breweries adding packaged on dates to its beers, which uh, you know I think is a terrific bit of news. Um, they are Australia's largest independent brewery, brackets outside of Coopers, um, and. The fact that they are doing that, I, I think, is a fairly significant um, shift towards greater transparency about uh, how old beer is when it's sitting on the shelves. Yeah, and, and just giving consumers who are, we, we have to admit, and we often talk about, you know, oh, back in my day, but seriously, go, going back, if, if you and I were to put together the number of changes and the quantum leaps we made, you know, the last 10, 15 years in Australia, we've seen greater growth and you know, dynamic movement in this um, thing called beer, um, the, the whole, the broad category than we have in the 120 odd years prior to that, that we've been drinking beer. Um, and one of the things I've noticed that, that really has changed is the consumer is a lot more savvy. There's a lot more information and uh, podcasts like this and, uh, and all the other ones that we often tip our lids to are responsible for, for that, for, for sharing the, the knowledge, obviously social media and the, you know, the fact that the World Wide Web has gone worldwide now um, means that we've got access to a lot more information. We're a much smarter sort of thing. So even, I guess, best before dates, really, apart from the commoditized sort of beer um, was the norm, but now... You know, things are shifting. And we'll be running the podcast um, fairly shortly, um, but that's, that's what our discussion panel in Melbourne was looking at. You know, the beer distribution and retail system grew up around a highly concentrated beer production system that went to highly concentrated distribution centres out nationally. So, you know, beer had a long journey through the logistics chain. Um, 
And so there was, you know, it did take time for, for beer to get into the consumer's hands. But at the same time, you know, the, the, the um, lagers that for the 30 or 40 years up until um, the, the, this current craft beer wave dominated the market were, you know, had become increasingly shelf stable. They didn't need preservatives or any oxidants in, in, in the bottle. Um, you know, packaging had become so good um, and pasteurisation and all of those things meant that beer could easily be of an acceptable quality uh, you know, up to 12 months and even longer um, sitting on the shelves. Yes, you're going to start getting some you know, slightly stale notes coming in, but it's still going to be acceptable quality. Craft beer has come in and you know, the hop compounds that we love and have driven the growth of the craft beer market are highly volatile. And you've got a lot of brewers um, saying that you're not going to get a great hop profile in a beer because of that after about 90 days. Um, and so you, th- th- there has been that disconnect between apparently brewers say that their distributors and their retailers want longer best before dates because consumers get a little bit antsy. Consumers have been conditioned to look at a beer and it generally has, you know, if, if they're buying it five months after it was packaged on, it'll still have a seven month um, code left on the best before date and they'll think I've got plenty of time. If they've been conditioned in that system and they pick up a craft beer that maybe has a three-month best-before date, and it's only two months old, but it's only got one month left on the um, date before it's best-before, they're going to go, oh, this is old beer. Yeah, they look at what's what's left rather than what's been. And there's been absolutely no standard for uh, you know what that best-before date was. A lot of uh, you know, big brewers put 12 months. A lot of craft brewers that I would argue probably shouldn't are putting 12 months on. Um, you've got Stone and Wood putting 270. I think Little Creatures puts... 270 on but then you've also got you know some english brewers um that have one and a half uh year uh, or longer and then you've got belgian beers that you know i've seen some recently that have you know best before 2022 um and for consumers who aren't as sophisticated as people who are very engaged in it, it's, it's very very consu- uh, very very confusing um so yeah. uh anyway so yes yeah, so, so so that that's that's a story, um, and I think it's you know I I thought that yes a lot of uh, small craft brewers have been doing that for a while, but Stone and Wood doing it. Yeah, the key the key to this story really is that it's that it's it's a a highly respected um, you know it's kind of I guess in our caper they are closer to the pinnacle in terms of uh, reach, in terms of influence, in terms of um, distribution, and all those sorts of things, and uh, it's a lead that presumably is more likely to be followed than if, um, you know, ABC Brew Pub in um, Whoop Whoop started doing it. Yeah, I mean, if Dapto Lager puts it on, you know, fantastic. But that's not exactly going to reach the... Uh, the, the and, and I guess the reason we're talking about this is that, you know, the, the, the story went up and people started saying, oh, why is this news? You know, well, you know... That was a good impersonation of James Davidson. <laughs> so I haven't caught up on the forums and that sort of thing. But was that, was that James? No, no, no. There were a couple of other people. James actually just uh, made the point that Bright have been doing it for some time, and I'm sure they have. But I'm pretty sure that uh, Bright's production is you know, probably you know one twentieth of what Stone and Woods are. I'd be hazarding a guess. Um, well, I'd also imagine. Well, I, I guess the similarity would be that um, I'm pretty sure from memory was it something like seventy percent of the uh, distribution for Stone and Wood is is sort of within they're you know 50 k's of the brewery something something like that like whatever the numbers are 
um, they proudly sort of stated that despite the fact that we do send our beer nationally, the greater percent, the greater um, majority of our beers uh, are consumed locally, and certainly that's probably an even higher percentage with with Bright. Um, although obviously with the new brewery coming in, the idea is that they'll get more beer um, out of the the sort of high country area. But at, at, at the moment, that's where the similarities lie. I think that um, the Bright and Stone and Wood both pretty much sell beers into their backyard. Absolutely, and you know, and just from a news point of view, and, and there's going to be a couple of meta topics uh, in, in in this podcast. Just from a news point of view, you know, you can either cover cover the 50 individually small breweries that uh, are putting uh, brewed on dates whose volume doesn't add up to what Stone and Wood produces, whose volume together doesn't add up, um, or you know, when uh, a brewery like Stone and Wood um, joins that movement. Um, then that's actually a very significant thing. Um, you know, Prof, uh, if I was to ask you the three most significant beers of the Australian uh, beer industry over the last uh, 20 years, what would you name? Oh, geez. Okay. Well, the, the first two that come straight off the bat without even thinking about it would be Mountain Goat Hightail Ale and Stonewood Pacific Ale. Ah, okay. Because oh, I was thinking uh, Little Creatures Pale Ale and Stonewood Pacific Ale are probably the two most influential beers in terms of having an impact on beer drinkers and brewing trends. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yep. And, and, no, and, and again, so the, the, the fact take that, that... Yeah, no, and that's the point I was making. So the fact that Stone and Wood do something, um, I suspect that it actually puts a flag in the stand um, and says that it's, you know, and, and we will see other brewers because people are going to start seeing it and they're going to start asking, what does this mean? Um, and, you know, why aren't other brewers doing it? Which puts a lot of, you know, positive pressure on brewers to start considering doing the same thing. Matt, just a quick uh, a quick one before we move on from that topic. Stone and Wood, Gage Roads, which is the larger of the Australian independent brewers? Uh, of those two. If we, if we take Coopers with their total think, volume. Yeah, actually, Gage Roads is the larger, but they still do a lot of contract brewing. So I'd, I'd uh, hazard a guess that... Uh, and, and I was looking at um, Gage Roads this week, but I, I suspect that their production is greater than uh, Stone and Wood. Um, but again, I, I, I put um, Gage in a bit of a side category uh, because they are listed on the stock market, so they're, publicly, they're a publicly listed company. So I, I still consider them independent, um, but in terms of... Comparing apples with apples. Yeah, of what we think of small <clears throat> little um, you know, family-owned breweries. Family business. The, yeah. the, the, the Stone and Wood is a big family. Family business is making 16 million litres a year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's a big family. But Prof, just 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 before we go on that, um, you know, the, the issue of best before dates in terms of educating people. How often do you get asked at your tastings? Um, people go comment on the Cooper's best after date. Uh, no, I'm not going to say it comes up. Oh, really? Okay, because that's that's no. one that I, I I get a lot people commenting on it. Oh, why do Cooper's put on uh, a best after date when other breweries put on a best before date and um, to me, that really shows the power of those dates on there because if it's on the bottle, people ask questions. And if it's a best before date... You don't even look at it, yeah, or use by date. You, you, you could have, I'm used to seeing that on everything from, you know, cheese through to salami. Yeah, and oh, you, you look at it and go, oh, okay, this is okay to drink as opposed to this beer is fresh, it's going to be free of old flavours, the flavour-positive components are still going to be present. None of that is captured in... Um, you know, the, the best before date because we're conditioned to think this is safe to drink or this is acceptable to drink. And um, 
whereas a best before a, a, a packaged on date gets people actually thinking positively about how old this beer is and i think that that'll get people thinking well what does that mean in the same way that uh the the, the um, best after date that Cooper's has uh, has got people even just ticking over in their head. What does this mean? And uh, and, and that's a, absolutely a great thing as the uh, beer industry changes with these lovely fresh uh, beers. Yeah, for sure. And then there's also the other topic that came up at the seminar was um, do you put on a packaged on date and then a recommended you know best before or uh, best buy. Yeah, and look, rather than uh, hijacking this um, chat uh, too much, it, it, it's one that I think we might even do a special, in, in addition to the logistics panel, uh, panel that we looked at, we might even have a special, um, you know, best on brew before and, yeah. and determining that chat um, at, at some stage soon because it really is a complex one when you've got people like, uh, you know, like Richard um, Crow from Stone and Wood said they put 270 days on, they keep, you know, I think a carton from every run that they go that goes into their um, conditioned cellar um, and it's their uh, reference uh, um, samples and they can go back and if there's ever a, a, you know, a customer raises an issue, um, and they can establish what the packaging run was. They can go back and try that beer. But then they also have a sensory panel that tests beer up and, and they decide when they find their beer is still acceptable. Um, and that's a great thing. And they're willing to say um, 270 days, we'll back our product up until that. Yeah. And so they put a lot of thought into that um, best before date. Um, whereas, you know, and one of the things, and I don't want to start the war again, but, you know, one of the issues around stone is um, stone are awesome in that they put a, um, you know, born on date, um, which is great. So consumers have that. In, a, in the US, in most of the US, they have a 90 to 120 day, um, you know, best before date. Um, and they do a lot of communication around this is when our beers are best before and there's a hop characters and we don't think you should be drinking our beer at a later date. And to me, there is a disconnect between that and then just slapping a 12-month use-by date or best before date on the product that they send to Australia and say, well, that's what we have to do for the retailers. The retailers are demanding that um, because to me, they're not putting sensory around that. They're not testing it it's an arbitrary best before date that as, as i said during the uh, good beer week panel you know a better way of describing that would be you know perfectly acceptable by or you know not shitty by date um because it's absolutely not in their in in the brewery's own opinion it's not their best before date um and it, it, it's a really great conversation and i think it's really relevant that um stoner would have done that so uh, that answers why it's news that's it. No, and uh, <laughs> it doesn't answer roundabout sort of way of saying yes, James. It's news now, so, but it, next... it, it doesn't explain why there were cans used in the bottled on dates story. Well, I thought it did because, like you say, it's, it's very difficult to actually get that uh, an image that would have. Yeah, but anyway, that, that's beside the point. Um, so yeah, look. At the end of the day, best buy any dates on bottles are a good way to determine which is you know in that very subjective way, uh, Australia's best beer. Another way that you can work out which are Australia's best beers is Beer Cartel's uh, 2017 Ultimate Top 50 Beer List. Uh, so the guys over at, um, at Beer Cartel have raked through, and I, I just wonder how many beers they needed to get through to actually do this, but the Gab's Hottest 100, Rate Beer Untapped and Beer Advocate ratings and have come up with a, a top 50 list. 
Yeah, they absolutely have. I mean, Beer Cartel, who potential conflict uh, ringing bell um, are sponsors of our letter of the week. Um, but that's not, again, that's not why we're discussing it. It's, it. it's one of the things, one of the things you can guarantee a meltdown Facebook discussion is posting reference to a beer being the best beer on Hottest 100. And you're going to get all of these people going, oh, how can you rate that when Fat Yak Ales is in the uh, Hottest 100 as well? Um, yeah. And it completely misses the point. Um, and, you know, rate beer and beer advocate are, you know, appealing, uh, appeal to a certain... Very ve- pointy end. Very limited demographic, um, untapped. Um, you know, and I would say that um, rate beer and... Um, beer advocate aren't really even the tickers anymore it's the people who love engaging in really hard discussions untapped to me is the the, the people who want to show how many beers that they've checked in and how many styles and get there and it's 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 been gamified you get your, your, your clicking your, badges yeah yeah so what 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 the um, beer cartel guys have done is that they've looked at those four different lists and tried to um, balance, you know, the, the the various ratings against each other to come up with a um, hottest, you know, like a, a top yeah, 50. Ul- ultimate top 50. Yeah, which again, you know, and, and, and not to become one of those Facebook people, but what does top mean? Because hottest, I think, you know, is a fairly clear, it's the vibiest, it's the thing that people are talking about, it's the, you know, it, it's what people are drinking and we had that nice little metric um, distribution versus hype squared. So a really well-distributed beer is likely to factor well if people are motivated to talk, and that's where the hype squared comes in because a really limited edition beer that has everyone talking is going to do really, really well. Um, But what does top 50 mean? Because the thing I noticed about this list, and we've talked about doing this list in the past, Prof, um, the thing, a similar style of list is... These are all beer insider lists that um, you know are, are skewed towards a certain demographic, and I would argue that none of them actually have a qualitative component. No, but I think what the guys have done is they've said, you know what, here's some lists that are already there. If we kind of transmogrify them and uh, you know run them through the uh, Ready Reckoner and through the slide rule, what does what do the the combination of the you know we stir the pot? What's the cake that that ends up um, as a result? Absolutely. Which, which I like because it's, it's, it's information that you, the, the drinker and the, um, you know, social media uh, contributor have already determined to be, you know, uh, the 4.5 out of 5 or the, you know, the, the hottest 100 or untapped, you know, the one that's most checked in, whatever it might be, don't know. It's just, it's, I, I just like the way that it's getting the, the conversation started. Um, and also, we should give a bit of a shout out because you, you can go to the Beer Cartel website beercartel.com.au and There's download the show notes but go and have a look at the website anyway because it's pretty good um but yeah they've, they've come up with a like an ebook a free downloadable ebook which includes toasting notes for each of the beer um and you know where to get it presumably through beer cartel why wouldn't you but that's a great initiative from the guys. Yeah, the, the, this list is a marketing exercise for them and they want to spark discussion because people are going to then be discussing the beer cartel top 50 beer list. Well, it's also a nice lead-in because they're about to launch the 2018 craft beer survey. They are, they are. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. But just before we move off uh, this, so looking at um, you know, looking at something that's called the top 50, you know, I, I still worry that that actually murkies the water as opposed to clarifies the water, um, which may or may not be their, their intent. Yeah, but it's... So I, I, com- I completely disagree because it's um, it, it's keeping the conversation going or it's starting a new version of an old conversation. Um, 
And look, I must admit, the shit stirrer in me just says, I just can't wait for the comments. Yeah, yeah, no, and and, and very true, and very true. But to me, I'm, um, I'm cooking up a big, extra large bucket of popcorn as we speak. Okay, but just just breaking down the, the list itself and go and have a look at it. Um, there are more stouts featured in the list than any other beer style. Thirty-one percent versus twenty-five percent for IPA and eighteen percent for pale ales. Now, to me, that you know really highlights the flaw in a list like this because when you look at what people are actually drinking, they're that is completely reversed by several orders of you know, um, magnitude. Um, and you're thinking, well, what does top mean then with beer? Because to me, you know, the best beers are ones that people want to drink and want to drink, you know, um, and a lot of people want to drink. Stouts are one of those beers that you, that people, you know, still don't have a big, um, you know, footprint in the market. Oh, no, no, but it, but I mean. Is it because this, they've taken it now where many of the states in Australia have, have had a bit of a of cooler weather and perhaps uh, more stouts have been purchased? I mean, I know from memory, I think up in Brisbane, winter fell on a Wednesday last year. So, I mean, you guys don't get a lot of stout drinking weather, to be fair. So perhaps you're a bit more skewed towards, you know, lighter, oh, geez, brighter mate, styles. It's a, it's a chilly 22 degrees today. I think I might be cracking a stout today. <laughs> Well, I had, well, yeah, just come back from uh, from Sydney on the um, uh, ten past stupid o'clock, the last flight out of Sydney into Melbourne. So we got, we landed about midnight, and so by the time I got home, I was sort of still a bit, you know, I had a coffee, you know, because I still had a, a forty minute drive from the airport. Um, and uh, the very nice people at Little Creatures, uh, shout out to them, had uh, has sent me a beautiful pair of socks um, wrapped around a couple of uh, tins of um, the Fuggle is real. They're uh, winter seasonal stout so actually I, I had a stout last night so had i been uh, on one of these social media platforms i may have said you know currently drinking so does that skew the figures and i get that i guess uh you know and it's not dissing the list at all because they they have done that and it's very much a beer geeks list where they've punted out beers like fat yak and james squire uh, if you're just going pure volume then uh and i think going back a few years Little Creatures Palo, which we've already given a shout-out to, then Daylight, then Fat Yak, um, then probably Mountain Goat Steam in terms of, you know, volume, and then and then probably, you know, Four Pines Pale or, or something like that. Those are probably swung around a little bit with particularly beers like like Pirate Life, um, even uh, Modus Operandi. I, I sort of see a lot more of um, around the place without giving away the list for those who are – Going to download it, their free copy. Um, but at number three, I, I, I don't uh, think we need to worry too much about a spoiler alert for for the list. There's lots of discussion. <laughs> Nail stout, clout, uh, clout stout. So at 180 bucks or whatever, 130 bucks a bottle. That's a pretty impressive top three. And um, John Stallwood, presumably off the back of his um, trophy at uh, the AIBAs and the medal at the World Beer Cup the week before that, he must be retiring because if fitting, if he sold enough clout stout. To make it number three on the ultimate top fifty list, just for this year, he's retiring surely. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and again, I get it. But four of the top ten are imperial stouts, and and it's not about volume um, because you know I would argue that James Squire Porter, gold medal at the World Beer Cup, only sells three hundred thousand liters, um, and I, I understand around about three hundred thousand liters, I believe. Um, and you and I use a fair swag of that just on our own whenever we're doing a um, uh, a, a taste, you know, many of our 
corporate tastings where yep. you want to get you know something that's going to be easily available. Um, and and I don't know about you, but you know a lot of the ones that I do, we've got to, get to go through our catering company, and here are the suggested beers. So oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if Squire Porter's there, you go yeah, it's a, it's a gimme. That's you know don't mind using that at all because it is such a great beer. But a list in which thirty one percent of the beers are stouts, <laughs> and the gold medal winner at the World Beer Cup isn't. Hey, even even the uh, AIBA trophy for best stout slash porter wasn't a stout. It was Holgate Temptress. Oh, Holgate Temptress. Uh, yeah, yeah, again. But uh, again, so it was a a, a trophy winner, um, and in a list that is replete with stouts, um, is Holgate. Let me just have a quick. Uh, Holgate's uh, highest entry and only entry is forty five. Forty five. Yeah. Yeah. So again, you know, I'm, I'm going okay. Well, if there's thirty one percent of the of the fifty are stouts, and the AIBA trophy winner and the World Beer Cup, which is the only gold medal importers in the world this year, doesn't make the list. Is the list helping or hindering in terms of uh, educating people about quality and hype? It's starting the conversation, Matt. Or it's <laughs> and, good. We're, and we're continuing it here on Australian Brew. Exactly. Hey, Prof, can I say, it's been a long time since you and I have uh, locked horns over issues the way we have today. I'm... I'm uh, I think we'll be getting some positive cards and uh, letters. Um, I'm running on no sleep here. <laughs> I'm punchy. <laughs> oh, yeah, very, very early start and a very late finish. And uh, I can only hear you through one ear at the moment. So <laughs> ain't well, we up there, that, raggedy man? That, that, that's my every day, as you know. <laughs> I know, um, I know. Now, one, of my, one of my ears hasn't, um, you know, re-centralised or it hasn't popped yet. But anyway, listeners, go to the... Uh, um, beer cartel top 50 list and tell us what you think does it help or does it hinder the conversation about what australia's top beers are most importantly talk about it in the garden what a garden brews news is made possible by brew pack australia's number one craft contract brewer with over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing? Think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. Matt, are you okay? Matt, I am okay. That's good. That's, that's, that's our next story. Let's not make light of uh, you know what is a, an increasingly um, discussed issue about uh, you know sort of mental health in the beer industry. We've seen uh, like uh, Luke um, Robertson from Ale of a Time posted a very uh, you know uh, like a very soul bearing um, post about uh, his own battle to good beer hunting, and uh, you know it, it it is a conversation that's happening, and it, it, it's something that Prof you know you did the man challenge. Um, uh, three years ago now, and I and I've noticed that whenever you and I are out, um, and sometimes it's practical, but you know you are a very moderate drinker. You keep a, a very close eye on how much you're drinking, because the opportunity for us to drink, um, you know, is just it's always there. I beg people to have coffee meetings these days, um, <laughs> because everyone just wants to. It's it's that sort of industry, and you know during Good Beer Week you see a lot of people who are very unwell, um, and. You know, and, and it, it is potentially an issue that the industry that it's the industry's dirty little secret. And uh, last week, um, the Morning Advertiser uh, in the UK um, posted a story: beer industry not discussing mental health and alcohol link. And it was a story that Sean Hill um, from Hill Farmstead, which is one of the you know, most 
hyped uh, breweries was quoted as talking about his own battles with uh, alcohol and talking about this. And the article was posted uh, and has had an incredibly positive response. Um, and you think, well, that's awesome he's come out and spoken. Until shortly afterwards, there was a uh, long post from Sean on the Beer Advocate um, forums that were discussing it. Essentially, not disowning the comments, but it was the, the undercurrent was it was quite angry that, that he'd been, if not taken out of context, the story had been given undue uh, priority, and he'd be, he'd felt a little bit sideswiped by suddenly waking up and getting you know hundreds of text messages saying, "Mate, are you okay?" and you know, "Good on you for speaking out when he hadn't been um, I- expecting it." So it, it, it's generated quite apart from the really healthy discussions about the unhealthy industry that we um, sometimes inhabit. It, it, it's talking about the way that journalists go about getting stories, and beer journalists are, are, are no different to that. Yeah, I um I don't know where I stand on this because I I look at you know, I'm very cautious of 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 uh, people using headline to create a causal link. In all honesty, the longer I live, the more wiser I, the wiser I get, and the more I realise that every single one of us has mental health issues. The difference is is how we each cope with them, because you know the, the the world's just getting you know, faster and more complex and all that sort of thing and we've either got more spare time or we don't have enough spare time and all this and family and work and all that sort of stuff um and i've just had the pleasure of uh, finishing off for the second time um three sheets of the wind by by pete brown which kind of looks at the various drinking cultures around the world but which actually in the end he kind of realized was shining a spotlight on the fact that the whole purpose of beer is to make people happy is to is to put that bit of buzz on it's to take away the mundane and 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 allow you to get to a level where you become more sociable and the and the good uh, elements of your personality are, are allowed to shine without um you know the restraints of of um uh, inhibition and that sort of thing so I kind of look at that. I think we're the luckiest people in the world because at the end of the day, you know, there's, there's nothing better than um, Alistair and I, who um, flew to Sydney yesterday, went to, popped into Grifter and saw Matt and Glenn there and didn't actually have a beer with them because the guys were, were just on their way out and we were just sort of just having a sneaky because we'd, um, we'd been basically watching 360 tonnes of grain uh, being turned into you know, billions of litres of potential beer, but couldn't have a beer. So all we wanted to do at the end of the day was just sit down and have a beer. And the clink of glasses and both drinking the same, and we were, it was just gorgeous. It was just, you know, uh, in a very manly way. But it was a really special sort of moment. And I'm thinking, that, like, that's good for my mental health. I, I do totally get that there's also, you know, the other side of it. But I don't know, I just want to put that out there that I, I, I'm just cautious. But to, but to me, that is that is a little bit like the top uh, 50 list. It, it's, it's talking about it because, you know, I regard as amongst the best feelings, uh, you, know, you know, of living is that first beer you have um, when you've been working very hard is to sit down and the alcohol's starting to tickle the neurons and it spreads out and you just get that feeling of, you know, wellness and relax and, and and that is one of the reasons why we are hardwired to drink um and, and i genuinely believe that that's a evolutionary thing um but then i also balance that with uh in the industry we're in and the jobs that we do and i'm sure it's for people who aren't even in the industry you know i'll be sitting at my desk come five o'clock and there is a little there's just a little switch that flicks goes oh it's time to have a beer 
Um, and it's not based on need, it's not based on desire, it's not based on reward, it's not based on social because um, that's when I, you know, that, that's often when I'll do my testing and things like that because I don't like to drink during the day, it makes me unproductive. But I've gotten into this habit of, you know, at five o'clock, um, you know, that's when I'll, if I've got beers to taste, that's when I'll do it because it's an appropriate yeah. hour. And that's your Fred Flintstone sliding down the tail of the Brontosaurus um, and, you know, pulling the parrot's tail. Absolutely. But then I find myself that, you know, oh, um, I'm cooking, you know, so I'll do that. And then I'm cooking dinner. Oh, I have a beer when I'm cooking dinner. And then, oh, just have one uh, with dinner. And, you know, then uh, just sitting here in front of the TV, I've had a couple of beers. You know, they were pretty good. I'm going to have another one. And then, you know, and, and, I, and I just find that there is a, there is a habit um, that can come with that. And, you know, then as people like to say, you're relaxing the fuck out of the joint um, because you, you sort of had four or five beers and um, you, you, it, it kills your productivity. And, you know, so you're, you're not getting the chores done, all that sort of thing, because you're, you're, you're relaxing. Um, and, you know, and there, there is a, like a, negative shame spiral that comes oh geez i didn't get done what i'd you know and and, and that's you know, yeah, arguably yeah. The, and, and and then you've got the health concerns you know that you know i don't know where the meter really sits on um you know what are you, how many units of alcohol you should consume but i know that i consume more than the 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 even at fairly moderate consumption in my view um i'm consuming more than i'm told is uh is is healthy um yeah so so look like it's a great issue um and to, to discuss but the second part of that is, you know, was it fair to, you know, spend 95% of the interview with Sean talking about completely other things? And then apparently he'd discussed something on a Good Beer Hunting podcast and there was a follow-up question to that. And that led to a little bit of a discussion that um, suddenly has become the complete focus of that interview when, um, you know, it wasn't the, the focus of the interview. It wasn't something that Sean particularly wanted to highlight the way that it became highlighted. And was it fair to, to him that the journalist took some um, comments that Sean doesn't resolve from, but suddenly makes a whole story out of it without you know, maybe even getting back yeah, to the it? Yeah, the epicenter of the, of the story. Whereas it was actually just a, not a throwaway line, but yeah, it was, it was not the key issue. Yeah. Um, no, for sure. I mean, look, definitely worth discussing. And I'd, I'd, I'd really love to hear feedback from the listeners, particularly those who are brewers, because I know, you know, Sean does make some really interesting points in the in the piece about sort of the like the, the style of the lifestyle. Um, and particularly, I guess, if you're, let, let's say, you know, a rock star brewer and you're traveling a lot, um, I, I found for my physical sort of well-being, um, uh, being a creature of habit actually worked really well. My metabolism responds really well to sort of eating at certain times and eating certain things and all that sort of thing. And when you're away, it's just difficult. You don't have access to, you know, your, your beautifully stocked pantry where everything's in order and you know this is what I have for, you know, first snack, second snack, breakfast, lunch and dinner. Plus you're travelling, your body clocks out, uh, you might be sitting for longer periods where normally you'd, um, you know, walk down to the shops to buy bread or, you know, whatever it might be. So there's all those sorts of things that come into it as well, um, the, the lifestyle factor. Um, and I remember chatting with uh, Josh Collins from um, from Black Bunny when they moved up from Brisbane. And a lot of that was, you know, the the stress of working in, the, in that corporate kind of hospitality space and, and then kind of, uh, you know, getting treated poorly, um, moving up the sunny coast. But then I thought, okay, so you lived sort of just up the road. He goes, no, no, we actually, you know, we made a conscious choice to, to live a 15-minute drive away because it allows for that decompression. So you kind of you can listen to the radio, you can you know shout at the stupid talkback callers, or um, you know sing along to a, an 80s tune or whatever. And before you know it, you've kind of left work where it is, rather than 
just taking it home with you metaphorically? Yeah, and mate, I, look, I work from home. Look, I'm sitting 20 feet from my bedroom and, you know, I, I, as I said to you when we were teeing up the podcast, I got out of bed this morning, had a cup of coffee brought to me and I spent two and a half hours straight on the computer before I then went and had a shower um, and I'm really conscious that that's not a healthy lifestyle. And But that, that, that's true of a lot of people who work in the industry, um, whether it's hospitality um, or brewing. It, it's, it's very hard to separate yourself. Yeah, and if you're promoting promoting your brand, it's, uh, there's a fair chance you're doing it after work hours, you know, at a pub, finishing late and, and chatting to punters and, and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, we, we totally appreciate that. Uh, you know, this lifestyle that we choose um, has its uh, limitations. You've just got to, I guess, it's, it's that whole work-life balance mm. um, has, has got to come into it. But it, it, look, great, a great topic and, and hopefully, as I say, uh, I can only reiterate, uh, I hope we get some cards and letters kind of um, give, it, give me a, your opinion. About all of the topics. But uh, actually, and, and just before we completely uh, move on from that one, to any listeners uh, who, if we're ever out and or you come to an event that I do or anything like that, you know, if I, um, you know, sort of present, hang around for about 20 minutes afterwards and take off, it's absolutely because, you know, Prof, you and I could be out hosting events or at tastings or dinners, you know, five nights a week um, and... We need to be really choosy about which ones we stay on and, and have a beer. And <laughs> I had a chat with this uh, regular listener and uh, author of Pacey's Poser, Paul uh, Pacey, in um, in Melbourne. I just happened to catch up with him at Beer Deluxe, and uh, you know it was one of the things we talked about. You know, I just I, I, I do an event, and as much as I'd love to hang around and have a beer and a long chat and settle in, you just can't. I mean, because you'd you'd be out drinking every night um, if that was the case. Yeah, yeah, no, hundred percent. And as you have commented, I'm a I'm a known smoke bomber. Oh, well, and I've got to admit, I've learned from the best. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting good at it too. I even smoke bombed you after the AOBA. The AOBA, uh, you did. Yes. <laughs> I was I was I was just channeling Stevie Winwood. <laughs> when you see a chance, then take it. <laughs> so I could either be here for another hour and a half, and I just I leading into. Uh, three day, days of gabs. Yeah. Uh, yep. Just yeah, no, no, there were going to be no winners. Yeah, exactly. So uh, yeah, so you need to be a little bit more choiceful, as a good friend of ours. Uh, That's says. right. And get out of Vincent if you are listening. Um, fond memories. Just back when we weren't regular. Uh, speaking of regular, letter of the week. With thanks to our friends at Beer Cartel, the six pack to give away. Um, I've only just sort of started catching up on my uh, emails after being away for a couple of days. I've got one that's just come here um, from a, a young bloke called uh, Jim. Uh, hi, everyone. Just a quick note to let you know that I've finished up with Brews News, effective from today. <laughs> it's been three plus awesome years, and I wish Matt, Pete, and the team the best of luck. Oh, hang on. Jim Ac- Oh, James. James Atkinson. James Atkinson, yes. Was that a nice, subtle little segue? Just slotted that in. It, it, it was. That was kind of like a reverse smoke bomb. I was wondering where you were going with that. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, and, and uh, yeah, James Atkinson, who's been with the site for three years and has seen it uh, grow, you know, very, very strongly in terms of the editorial coverage, and he's put a lot of discipline around like uh, it'd be fair to say prof that in the early days of bruise news um the cannons were rolling around the deck um <laughs> they, they they weren't always tied down and uh there I, was I felt like the boy on the burning deck i was just kind of <laughs> running around with the mop just dodging rolling cannons <laughs> but at, at the same time you know like it god i mean i, I look at some of the, the issues that we took on, and you know, in, in in a small way, um, you know, Brews News brought about the ACCC's most significant um, intervention in the beer industry um, around our coverage of the Byron Bay 
um, issue that no one really wanted to touch because it was a, a hard issue. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much credit we can take for changing the recipe of uh, Crown Lager um, back to actually well, having... Well, four, let's not put too fine a point on it, Matt. You, you rewrote the history. I, well, the history, um, yes, their, their marketing uh, was significantly changed. And, and that was all, uh, you know, again, in, in, uh, in, in a time when uh, the, the writing style was possibly a little bit more loose. And uh, James you know, um, came to it with a very uh, professional uh, journalist uh, hat and, uh, you know, has, has broadened the coverage and, and done it very, very well. Um, and he's done it. I've learnt that you can report the story and you don't have to double underline the uh, ridiculousness of a media release. Sometimes subtlety does that for you. <laughs> and have you learnt from James that you don't need to say the same thing three different ways just to avoid being misconstrued or misunderstood? No, mate, because the second I don't <laughs> say th- things three different ways, I get Matt, somebody did you say, mean this? How dare <laughs> yeah. you? So, yeah, no, um, and thank you for making uh, light of that on stage at the uh, AIBAs. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, look, it's, uh, this isn't about me. This is about James. And, uh, yeah, no, it's been uh, three years that he's made a very significant contribution. And, uh, you know, it, it, it is hard reporting on, you know, the, the small little beer world. And uh, James uh, has got, uh, has been doing freelance writing for a much wider um, range of uh, beverages. And uh, I, I think he's going to be popping up uh, writing a lot more freelance uh, to, to a much wider audience. So, uh, yeah, no, James, thank you if you are listening. Um, uh, thank you very much, and uh, yeah, all the best for all of your future endeavours. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll uh, still get him back as a uh, casual guest on uh, Radio Brews News. Yeah, for sure. And uh, next month, I think we can announce now that um, thanks to our friends at Beer Cartel, the Letter of the Week will receive a six-pack as well as the title of the new editor of Australian Brews News. So get the <laughs> no, cards no, and letters well, coming in. Reasonable I, spelling and uh, just a cold, hard grip of grammar wouldn't hurt. Stepping in in an editorial capacity, but um, we, we do have uh, a couple of great uh, writers coming on. So uh, you will be seeing some uh, new voices. Uh, 100%. And on that note, let's, um, yeah, smack this thing on the butt and ride it on home. Uh, thanks very much for listening. Thanks very much to uh, uh, all of you who support and or sponsor in any way um, the Radio Brews News Network that inc- incorporates beer as a conversation. And um, great chat with, the, like, the... Um, the Clarence Meeks episode of Beer is a Conversation this week with the uh, the hop the hop uh, the hop report the hop report I, yeah, I, I actually with OJ asked, I, I asked OJ whether he'd ever seen Trading Places because I was going to bring that in and uh, he he remembers it very vaguely but doesn't remember Clarence Beeks and the frozen concentrated orange juice <laughs> report but uh, it, it it is one of the things that we uh, cover um, annually um, and anyone that listened to it uh, you know you're, you're it's one worried. constant gag we do it every year. Yeah, it, it is, and but you know, the, it, it's one of those stories that we do cover. Um, and I guess some people might ask whether it's uh, commercially sponsored, and it's absolutely not. It's just one of those no, organic stories that uh, that grows because, as I discussed with OJ in, in the in the thing, if you want to get a read on the, the beer industry um, and and where industry thinks it's going, as opposed to where us beer geeks talk about, oh yeah, this is the future. Those guys need to be planning three and four years in advance for, you know, gee, do we have enough galaxy? Do we have enough, um, you know, where are trends secret? going? Yeah, is is is, is Nipa going to be replaced by, you know, we we're going to start, you know, Fuggles or uh, East Kent Goldings or you know, something like that. Because it takes a long so, time for hops to come on. Become commercially yeah, viable. So, so, yeah. so look, it's a really fascinating chat with OJ about what's happening and if you if you're interested in uh you know some of the the, the macro trends of the industry uh go jump on and listen to beer as a conversation
Done and done. And on that note, thanks again, Matt. Thanks, Prof. Chat next week. And we're out.